Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Um, apologies for the technical um, glitches there. Um, my name is Tony Bolshaw. I work globally with, with family businesses. I'm a fellow of the Family Firm Institute. Um, and um, as I said, even during lockdown, was working internationally. I have uh, worked with families and traveled extensively in Africa from, from Egypt to Nigeria, Kenya, Central um, Africa, and uh, most Southern African countries working with family businesses, also international speaker resource for Young Presidents Organization. So working with families in Asia, Europe, um, the Americas, and, and obviously Africa as well. Um, in terms of the title of, of my talk and the original brief, what you're going to see is I'm going to talk and, and focus more on governance. And in the q and I'm happy to pick up on some of the other questions as well. Um, it's a very extensive subject, and um, so we're going to narrow it down to this particular topic. But if we have a look in the global arena, what we've been dealing with and um, in Africa and right down here on the southern, the southern tip of Africa, we've had the COVID-19 um, pandemic um, that's had a massive impact on, on, on family businesses. And I am working extensively with families um, across the globe where what's happened is this pandemic has precipitated a crisis, has accentuated the um, transitioning that needs to happen between generations and intergenerational issues as well. So coupled with the pandemic has been extraordinary um, business conditions, um, the massive reduction in, in consumer demand, unless, of course, you were in supply and PPE. So in the tourism, hospitality, leisure industry, huge, huge impacts that are still ongoing and massive levels of, of unemployment and impact on, on people. And we've seen it um, here in South Africa and um, across Africa, obviously, and, and, and the globe. We've also had the social protests for social justice and controversy um, over what is the role of police and military, etc. And then this is all against this backdrop of this huge climate change and the volatility of the, the weather patterns globally. So this is having a huge impact on, on, on businesses. And how do we ensure the continuity and how do we deal um, with that? And I'll be looking at it from a governance perspective. So owner-managed family businesses comprise um, majority of businesses globally. Um, half the world's workforce um, are employing family businesses, generating at least half the, the GDP. But people often don't understand the issues and dynamics. I hope to give you some of the lenses to be able to look at that um, today, whether it's your own family business or the years professionals are working with family businesses. So we've got the classic emotion-based family system overlapping to the task-based business, an emotion-based family business, inward orientation, there's caring, there's sharing, Talk about feelings. There's generally lifetime membership of the family. We generally are risk to um, risk averse. Um, like to get money out the business, giving family members opportunity and there to preserve the wealth. 
whereas the business got an outward orientation, embraces change, it operates as a meritocracy, it inevitably needs to take risk, it wants to reinvest the capital to grow the business, and yeah, effectively operates as a meritocracy. And sadly, you find in many family businesses, the family sits in the overlap of these two, two systems. And so when one looks at, at, at family businesses, and we don't have a lot of time today, but just to give you some of the lenses to look at it, firstly, in terms of the family, you may have been born into the family, you might have married into the family, and so you're part of the family in circle one. If you're in a business, you're employed, you've chosen to bring your, your life into the business, but you're not family, you're not in the ownership, well, then you um, in circle three and circle two in terms of ownership and management and um, effectively um, owning shares. So one is emotion, unemotional when you look at maybe a share portfolio or something that you have in relation to that. However, in family businesses, different. A family member might choose to bring their career into the business. So they would sit in the overlap of the family and business system and they would sit in circle six. Um, a family member who benefits from the, the, the trust or legacy trust and may effectively, is effectively involved in ownership, but may or may not play a role in relation to that ownership. If you've got equity in the business, but you're not a family member, you're sitting five. And usually where the founder and the founder family sits is in the overlap of those three systems. Um, and it's very important to say, is this a family issue that you're dealing with or is this a business issue? Um, is this an ownership issue that, that we're dealing with? And I find this is hugely informative and it, it's hugely beneficial to families when one's working with them because the family system, as I said, moves slowly. Um, and so it takes time and the emotions and everything else involved when you're dealing with um, families in business. And it just helps to tell, so are we dealing with a family issue here or are we dealing with a business issue? So the logical framework that I've developed in terms of working with families, I'm going to just deal with the first one today, is governance and decision-making. So the acronym GENERATIONS, the GC um, being the acronym for governance and, and, and decision-making, that's what we're going to talk about today. Just to touch briefly on the others, entry of the next generation, um, is, is, is it a hope, is it a threat, is it problematic in terms of the next generation coming into the business? Is there a sense that they need to go and get an education outside of the business first? Um, just want to allow spouses into the business, etc. And we're going to see later on that, that, that culture plays a big role in relation to many of these issues. The non-family executives, the professional management, um, how do we bring these guys in? How do we attract them? How do we retain them? Is there effectively a glass ceiling in terms of them? Um, are they treated like family? Do they need to be uh, feel as though they're family? Then education development of family on family business matters. So sometimes people say, do you think I'm uneducated? Why do we need to go through this process? And it's really to help individuals understand the education um, and, and give them the lenses to be able to look at the family and, and the business and to understand these development phases and life cycles. Remuneration and recognition and the role confusion that exists. Well, is the salary that I'm getting or is this a dividend by virtue of being owner, or is it a, a gift from the family to me? These development phases and life cycle forces, we know of the Gen Xs, the Gen Ys, the Gen Zs, um, and in terms of the transitioning between these gen generations, we often talk about the trigger being the coronary, and suddenly all this developmental pressure is there, 
something happens to one of the key family members, the founder, for example, the senior generation, and that spark can ignite an inferno. Um, trust, the glue that binds families together. How do we develop that trust? Um, how do we grow that? How do we deal with the relationships? How do we communicate um, and how we deal with conflict? And all I can say at this, uh, on this point is conflict is normal. But what is really important is the way that you actually handle this conflict and are there, me- there mechanisms in place? Do we have to maybe bring somebody in to be able to triangulate through that person in terms of opening up the conversations? And there's a lot of that happening at the moment, certainly in the space I'm involved in and involving myself in assisting families. The values, um, the culture is the way we enact our values um, and the principles and what's important to us. And also the commitment that family members have to the business other than rocking up just to get a dividend or something from it. What does it mean to be a committed owner um, and maybe not have an involvement in the day-to-day operations of, of, of the business? The development of new strategies, what are the scenarios? And typically in a family business, you'd say, well, are we going to grow this business? Or do we want them to retain it as it is? You'd be surprised. Um, some families say they're comfortable with that. Others will then, do we look at exiting the business and disposing of it? And then the systems that we have in place, systems, processes, etc., and and the family buying into it. So you've got this founder of the business, typically the one individual, very strong individual, uh, mom or dad, that that you know has started the business. It's in their veins. Understand the business from a gut feel point of view, um, and they used to just doing their own thing. Now, what about the systems and processes we need to put in place? And that we're going to talk a little bit about under governance and succession and continuity from an ownership perspective and a management perspective. People sometimes believe this is synonymous, but it's not. Um, how do we continue with ownership and meaningful ownership for individuals that they, that they understand what that ownership means and the role in terms of being involved in the management and the running of the business? So that's the, the framework on uh, which uh, we link it. Then in terms of the influence that um, somebody has on the business. So the incumbent, typically the founder, would sit on the left-hand axis there, the incumbent high up in terms of the influence. And then on the bottom axis, we've got time. And, you know, whatever that period is, uh, there's the letting go that clearly needs to happen if it, Senior generation haven't learned to let go by the age of 70. They're never going to let go, and that becomes problematic. And then in terms of the influence, the successor or the structures, remember it doesn't have to be just one individual. It might be from an ownership perspective, a family shareholders committee that exists in relation to what do they as family want. In terms of the governance of the business, the directors um, bring in outsiders in. They play a massive, massive role these outsiders in terms of these governance structures. And yes, you have the the, the, um, the unitary board system or, or the two-tier board system, um, as you would find typically in countries like, like Germany and that. But from a cultural point of view, to have advisory boards, and that is hugely beneficial. So those are the type of structures that one could um, bring uh, into play. Um, and then you have this period of, of, of joint influence and the sense of letting go, but the emotional attachment and all of those psychological aspects that come through that one needs to understand. So governance applies to all organizations, whether so it's company, partnerships, trusts, governance, schools, family businesses, 
or even um, how do you govern yourself? So when one looks at a company, and I know this is, might seem simplistic, but we need to remind ourselves of the fact that a company is a separate legal persona. As one then a judge says, there's a person everywhere, except it hasn't got a body to kick and assault to damn. And the company is separate from the persons who are associated in terms of directors, shareholders, owners, suppliers, customers, etc. And then we've got um, share owners that have technically limited liability, but we know many family businesses, that can be the problem on the senior generation won't let go because all their wealth is tied up in the business and they've signed securities and that. So that's all that succession planning that needs to happen. All right, and the extent of the shareholders' liability in a company is the paid-up value of the shares, uh, but the liability of directors is generally unlimited, and people do, often don't understand understand this, and yes, you can manage it with DNA cover, etc., but um, there is liability there in relation to that. So just five propositions in terms of businesses and families follow predictable evolutionary life cycles and transitions and, and, and new challenges, um, and families need to anticipate that. The problem is families often sweep these issues under the carpet, and a, a spark, and I'm dealing with two families where it's re- really an insignificant spark, has ignited a huge inferno, and that is really, that is just symptomatic of this developmental pressure that's been building up that people haven't dealt with. It's possible to learn from your own experiences and experiences of others, and that's why I've authored books and, and write articles and, and run sessions for families um, into, in South Africa, in Africa, internationally, um, and so that families can learn from the experiences of others. The issues you face as family businesses are, are, are similar, but you've got to find your own unique solution to those. I'm going to say again, the issues you face are similar. Know what those issues are and, and what the impact of that is, but you've got to find your own unique solution. What worked for one family isn't going to work for another family. You've got to find your own unique solution. Family values, culture, goals, influence, achievements of, of, of the business for more than any other factors. It's got a huge impact. External forces, as we've seen in the pandemic, influence the future performance of the business excuse me, and the liability and viability of, of, of the company going forward. It's been phenomenal seeing how businesses have had to transition. So just taking the tourism, hospitality, leisure industry, um, how innovative um, businesses have been um, in terms of um, attracting customers, doing business, um, trying to survive. Um, it's quite interesting when he's now starting to see those um, shares or stocks Actually, actually moving up in value as there's a slow uh, return to normalization in many countries. Um, but again, there's the threat of the third wave. We've seen what's happening in India. So one um, cannot predict um, exactly where it's going to go for businesses. And families' capabilities, The <clears throat> we talk about the family wealth, and the family wealth is not just the money. It's the talents that people have, the emotional maturity of the family to be able to 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 deal with issues uh, that social interaction that is so important um, so it's not just about money and it's not just about education in terms of um, family capabilities so governance understand businesses go through predictable life cycles I'm not going to go into detail but the startup business that enduring mixture of chaos and exhilaration was starting up a business 
the, the growth that happens um, that can be quite stellar, then the maturation and the hockey stick, the potential for decline or needing to reinvent the business. And it's been phenomenal seeing how COVID has expedited the transition to the next generation, how now the next generation has embraced te- technology um, and a new way of doing businesses. And I've seen some very, very successful businesses during this, this pandemic period. So how should your governance structures then evolve to manage the, the this increased risk and exploit the opportunities? Just understand that those members of the family that are in the business, they want to grow the business. And so they want to often retain the money that is in the business. Those family members that are outside the business may well have a different agenda. They don't share that aspirational growth um, risk appetite of the people in the business, and that can be a potential force. All right, so increased professionalism that is needed, and I'm going to be talking to you about some of the family and the actual business structures that need to be in place and, and, and management, and we can really just only um, touch the surface today. When we have a look at, at formalized um, planning and, and reporting, the people cannot just be in a, a, a knowledge vacuum because when there's a knowledge vacuum, people fill it with their own perceptions. So the dynamic of seeing a family member that's in the business driving around in this fancy car, family members may well assume that they've taken money that could have been declared as dividends and spent it on their own um, aspirations and, and, and desires. So there's a lot of information and a lot of transparency and there's a lot of trust that is, is required. As I said earlier, trust is the glue. And how do you go about building, <coughs> building trust? And, um, yeah, very important dynamic there. Um, formalized planning and reporting. Best practices should be followed. So learn what are best practices. You often find that in the startup phase, the professional that is brought in, the accountant, the attorney, others others to assist, and then the profession, maybe as professionals, and then bringing in professional management as well. So ownership and the quality of the ownership and the quality of management makes all the difference but there needs to be an alignment of the goals for those in the business, family members in the business and outside of the business. So as our societies say, family is family. If well-ordered, well-instructed, well-governed, there are springs from which go forth the streams of greatness, prosperity and happiness. And so when you work with the luminaries of family businesses worldwide and you see what they get get right, I'm going to try and give you some of those lenses for you to look at, at governance today. Okay, so governance um, does have value in terms of transparency, um, having independent directors and how critically important those are. And I'm working with families um, internationally in, in, in Europe and that where these guys, these independent directors are playing a wonderful role. Um, avoid the concentration of power. Um, you know, when all the knowledge expertise is centralized in the founder of the business, you start separating out the role of the CEO and that of the chairman and that of the um, directors and having a majority of independent directors, etc. Greater board um, room effectiveness, and we'll look at what qualities to look for in director selection um, and the evaluation of those directors and their performance. It's not just to have some buddies that's around the, the founder of the business. So when you look at what are the tasks of the board in terms of fiduciary duties, um, the fiduciary, you stand independent in relation to, to the business and you're almost like a custodian. 
um, due care and skill exercise in leadership, um, enterprise with integrity and, and sound business judgment. The substance of good corporate governance, more important than its form, adoption of a set of rules or principles or any particular place, no substitute, nor does itself assure good corporate governance. And so there's wonderful um, in South Africa development of the King Report, King 1, 2, 3, and we had, at, at King 4, I wrote a book about governance in family businesses for King 2. I was involved in the governance assessment instrument um, development for King 3 and also King 4. Um, in terms of privately held held businesses. Right, so what are some of the characteristics of good directors? Um, and we'll just run through these, um, and they're self-explanatory, most of them having an integrity, um, caliber and, and, and credibility, uh, both with those in the business and with the, with the family, non-family executives and family executives, um, having a skill, being able to bring experience to the boardroom table, um, judgment and independent of management, courage to express opinions and to ask the difficult questions. Uh, Mervyn King talks about having an intellectual naivety. You know, if you take the two-year-old and you explain something to the two-year-old and often they come back is, but why? And you've given a perfect logical explanation. Ask those questions. Being decisive, um, having strong interpersonal um, and communication skills, um, work well with other um, con- confront conflict and help manage the conflict. And as I said, in family, the conflict is normal. It's very important the way that you manage it. Very useful to have third parties that can facilitate where family members triangulate and then bring them to a point where they're able to talk directly. Obviously, to be able to think strategically and out the box, um, scenario planning, etc. very important to be able to do that. Ask the what-if questions. Provide leadership, inquisitive, analytical, able to analyze the data that is there, um, offer solutions and ideas, incisive, get to the core. What is the nub of the problem that you're dealing with here? Understanding the business, understanding finance. And, you know, you've got directors, you've got family members that sometimes don't understand finance and get people to go on finance courses for non-financial managers, etc., so they understand that your finance is really just a scorecard in terms of how the business is performing and obviously flowing from that is accountability, et cetera. Having an awareness of, 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 of the industry, so if you're in the music industry, does the person understand that or do they only have a background maybe in manufacturing or is it in tourism or hospitality, whatever it is, property, um, need to have industry awareness and an understanding prepares properly for the board meeting, doesn't just rock up there um, unprepared and has the time and the energy to commit to being good directors. All right, so steering, setting strategic direction, approving policy and planning, overseeing the monitoring and ensuring that there's accountability from the people within the organization. Um, And I'll talk to you about the typical structures you find in family businesses now. And then... In this um, board, being able to ask questions for the small to medium-sized enterprise in terms of succession and continuity planning, um, succession is going to see something new, what is going to be continuing, um, the growth, the return on investment. Often there's an increased risk with a higher return on investment, asking those questions. Dividends, do we take money out of the business? Is there a base dividend policy? What is the policy in terms of extraordinary dividends? Um, acquisitions, you know, if, if we're not wanting to expand, well, then 
you know, are we able to to grow the business and give a viable return on the on business? Uh, what happens if a family member wants to sell their shares or they believe that the business should be sold? How do we deal with that? Um, going public in terms of an IPO, I deal with a lot of families in terms of they've got to that phase. What do they need to consider in terms of the IPO? Um, shareholder sacrifices, what is meant by that is maybe we need to, we want it to go on this growth trajectory, need to make some big investments or, you know, the cash was also being dissipated during COVID. Uh, what sacrifices do shareholders need to make now? And then performance of management and holding them accountable. Right. In the interest of time, I'm just going to go to, straight to this slide. Um, in terms of, of governance, we've got the business governance, the contractual agency theory that exists there, and then the, the family governance, the relationship, the social aspect of that. Um, and I'm going to explain that to you now. And then in terms of management, typically we would have an executive team, and then we've got functional and operational teams, and how do those interact? So typically, we would find we've got an executive management committee, um, possibly a CEO. Some families, you do find co-CEOs, um, and there's a lot in literature on that, and um, a lot needs to be considered before you end up with co-CEO situations. But typically, you've got executive management, probably a CEO, um, the operating company reporting to the board of directors, maybe a holding company with various operating companies, um, what you find in um, family businesses in earlier phases, stages of development is that that is the core asset of, of the family. As it goes into successive generations, you may well find property portfolios and all the rest of it, and those may be outside of the core asset and the operating entity. Um, and then, you know, as I said, we've got to look at how do we diversify assets, how do we get the senior generation out. But in terms of the structure that we've executed, managed into a board of directors, operating into a holding company, and then trustees. But if you gain to an, an of, of the equity that the family holds, uh, may well be in a trust, and you've got those trustees. But there's a massive, massive missing dimension on the left. I want to talk to that now. And so what typically you would have, yeah, is to have, and, and, and the slide that I just skipped over, a constructive reality of committed, cohesive, experienced wise ownership is a resource unimaginable to a business. And that is so true. And that's why on the left-hand side, and this is what I've seen work with so many family businesses successfully. Um, and yes, you can have um, advisory boards and, and people or for the family shareholder owners committee on the left, you may have advisors there. But typically this is where the bloodline family ownership lies. The core family members that are involved from the family owning, not involvement in the business. Um, they may well be in the overlap of those circles that I explained earlier. But what do the family owners council do and what committee and what do they talk about? Then we've got the individual family branches. Um, so the second, third generation, each member of that family uh, would have their own family or their own core that exists there outside of the collective family. And then we have something called the family council um, and, you know, that is used in, in certain literature and some, what I call a family shareholders committee, they call it family council, but I call that the family table. And I'll talk about that now. So family council read family table. Um, that's where we have the conversations as family, um, not from an ownership perspective, but building that family cohesiveness. 
So ownership issues get dealt with on the left-hand side as well on the right-hand side. So typically you would find that the Family Share Owners Committee would converse with the uh, and have regular interaction with the trustees of the trusts that own the equity. So this Family Shareholders Committee, what does it do? It manages a, the interaction between the owners and, and, and the business. It forges the owner's collective goals. What is that shared dream? It's very important in a family business to ve- develop a shared dream because we don't have that shared dream then, and uh, if there's no overlap of that shared dream, or maybe to get out of the business or to sell the business or some family members to the buyer of the business, may well be the way to go. You don't just, you know, because I happen to specialize in working in family business, so they have to be for it together forever. What is critical is, is there a shared dream? So what are the goals? You've got a shared dream. What are our goals that we want to achieve in terms of the growth of the business or keeping the same size or whatever? What is our vision and what are the values that we have as family? Uh, because if it's not a shared value system, then often it, it's not going to make sense to try and continue as a family-owned business. Consider acquisitions and disposals. Do we want to grow the business extraordinarily um, and take on more risk and more debt, etc.? Or do we want to share, uh, dispose of this business that might have been it might be small now, but that was at the core of the business when it was founded. Well, do we want to dispose of it? Because some people have an emotional attachment to it. We can't just dispose of it. Then to as family, what goals do we want to set in terms of growth? The risk appetite that we take, the liquidity that we want to have in the business and, and the profitability. You know, we can't just keep taking money out of the business if the profits aren't there. So during the pandemic, you know, maybe these dividends have been put on hold or well, then, what about those family members that were dependent on the business paying these dividends? How do, do we deal with that? So it's not easy. Ensuring that the top executives at the helm of the business are competent and doing the, a, a good job. And I encourage the CEOs or the executives of the business to come and talk to the Family Shareholders Committee in terms of how the business is performing so that they get to know and understand the people that are there. To elect the directors, what are the criteria for the directors and who are the candidates that we um, have uh, that are recommended by the family and ultimately the board? Evaluate the shareholders' return on investment and and changes in shareholders' value. Um, Are we making a return on the investment? So family money might well be patient money, but are we are these assets? been sweat, you know, it's sweating those assets. Are we really, really making those assets work or are we getting a bit lazy with those assets? The dividend policy, the taking money out of the business, let's assume that's how you take money out of the business. You know, in the startup phase that I was talking about, the enduring mixture of chaos and exhibit, there's a real confusion between are these dividends or is, are these uh, profits that are being paid out? Is this a gift by which of being a family member or is this salary for? work that I do in the business. So determining entry and exit policy of, of family into the business and to review those family members that, that, that come into the business. And that can be tough to set um, those, those policies. And I'll talk just now about a family creed and I'll sit down with families and we formulate these, these entry and exit policies. Developing a family's own share capital markets value. If a family branch, the family would need to exit have we got the contracts in place that require them to come to the family first in terms of um, 
buying those shares. If the senior generation haven't got enough wealth out of the business, next generation comes in, how do we deal with that um, in terms of um, does the next generation pay out the senior generation? Do they borrow um, funds? Uh, what actually stands security for those funds? And openness on remuneration, remuneration matters in terms of um, non-family executives and family members in the business. Right, talking about that other <clears throat> um, structure in terms of family council, the family table, as I call it. Firstly, we need to foster healthy communication um, between family and, and, and transparency. So it's not just resorting to, to pillow talk um, and to assumptions and knowledge vacuums, and that leads to huge issues, believe you me. Maintaining and strengthening the bonds of trust in the family, preserve what are these values and traditions across generations, doing things that um, the next generation come to. Family retreats that I ran 20 years ago, the next generation were, say, the age of you know 12, 13, and they saw the family going through, and, and at times they would attend some of the se- sessions that I actually run. And then over time, they've actually grown and developed and seen and continuing with those values and that culture. Okay, so quality time together, building unity, relationships, understanding, pass on these values in terms of, of, of work. And you've seen um, people, you know, the next generation see how the senior generation worked. The education, development, the community, the importance of local community, um, integrity, uh, respect and loyalty, communicating these core values in relation to finances, the confidentiality around that, their relationship with the wealth uh, wealth management um, and wealth managers, communicating with the in-laws, the next generation they come in. So I've had families that developed a creed that I've developed them over years, um, new family members coming into the business, such as spouses and in-laws, and the next generation spending time with me, getting to understand the dynamic and the issues and how the family works. Opening up dialogue to hear their ideas, what their intentions, and their uh, assessing their development and readiness to handle money. Um, nurturing the legacy. Um, what is this legacy that we really have here, this legacy asset? And affirming family members, aligning the personal goals um, and expectations of the collective family, the shared dream I was talking about. So they can also learn about the business. Some families are amazed at their product and they didn't even realize those brands were in their stable. Uh, understanding and commitment to, to processes, to structures, there's ways that we deal with things. We can't just walk into the business kickboxes or, or take some product out of the business. There are processes that we need to and structures that we need to respect. Clarify the roles of the family, the business and ownership. All right, um, <clears throat> the transitioning and dealing with change um, and making sure that's emotionally healthy, overcoming conflict, um, performing acts of service, the philanthropy. We haven't got time today to go into that. And then those issues that I had under that acronym of generations. All right, the family creed. This is a document that sets out the principles and practices of the family that the family wish to observe in relation to ownership, management, governance, what is the role of an executive committee? What is the role of the board, etc. is in that document. And what is their philosophy in terms of shared dream, the vision, um, the goals, the policies that they would have? Uh, in terms of policy, might be to debt-to-equity ratios they'd be comfortable with. Assistance in um, assigning responsibilities and accountabilities, 
um, priorities, timeframes, etc. is dealt. So the family vision, as you can see at the top here, the values, then going into the ownership philosophy, um, the management philosophy in terms of professional management um, and getting money out of the business, the roles of these structures, so the board of directors, might be advisory board on top of that, uh, the board chairperson, the family share owners committee, the family council table, how do we go about funding, financing the business, uh, about debt, what about security so that are required because these banks, they will get you to hock everything to them um, in terms of security. But how do we get the senior generation's securities released um, into the next generation? Or there may well be other assets within the business now as it's matured that will provide the security that the financiers are looking for. The process for family members to join the business, tricky issues like retirement age, um, communication, um, financial information, confidentiality, um, things are added like dispute resolution mechanisms, um, employees, the respect that one needs to have for them, the family archives, who and where, amendment to the family creed. Because remember, as each generation grows, I, I require in the creed, I usually suggest that they put in the creed needs to be reviewed at least every three years and that the next generation needs to take ownership of that of that process. Remember, creed is not a legal document. It's, it's the creed, how we want to live uh, ourselves, but it's hugely informative in informing people involved in those other structures that I spoke about. All right, so I'm going to stop it there, and um, are there questions? Thank you so much, Tony. That was really interesting. Um, you mentioned that family culture values and goals are critical to determining the performance or influencing the performance of a family business. Um, what are the common mistakes you see families making in this area? And um, similarly, what are you know, your thoughts on best practice with respect to culture, values and goals? Okay, what, what I typically find, the mistakes that I made, is that there's an assumption that each family unit um, and, and pervasively through the family that they all share the same values. And, and that assumption can be problematic. This, remember, your, your culture is the way you give expression to those values. So other family and, and people not anticipating the impact that bringing other people into the family, such as spouses and life partners and that, have a tremendous impact on that. So that's why it's so important to articulate those, uh, those values. So, you know, the basic values such as ethical values, trust, all of those type of things are, are given. But how do we actually give expression to that? So somebody will say, I don't trust you because of X, Y, and Z. And so people need to be able to articulate that and look at, is there a shared um, value system that actually exists here? So when I start off working with families, Part of the process is to put down those values. And we've had some very interesting discussions as to how the senior generation, for example, give expression to that and the next generation. And um, one cannot assume that because they grew up under the same roof that they're automatically aligned. But it might just be the way they're expressed. And so if they can talk about those, the, those values that then influence how they go forward. Good. Thank you, Tony, for that answer. Um, the next question is, you mentioned that the issues family businesses face are similar, but the solutions mm. would be unique. 
Mm. How best can families then address their issues? Well, look, the, the way that you address the issues is to oh, have the conversations. You know, there's, uh, we talk about having difficult conversations. These can be difficult, and that's where you, one needs a facilitator. And I find that's the role that I'm playing all over the globe, is actually meeting with families and having the conversations and distilling those. Because when you look at people's goals, ambitions, life plan, what are their goals in terms of, of continuing to own the business? What are their individual goals in terms of their career? What are their financial goals? Um, and do those tie in with, with the business? Um, what are the spiritual goals um, that they want to physically, um, et cetera, et cetera? So one needs to allow family members to, to note those because sometimes they haven't even given, a thought, given proper thought to that. And then to share those, and this is very much in a structured fashion, and it's very much in, a, in an environment that is facilitated, there's higher degrees of, of respect and trust, but that people are able to articulate that. And in that way, you start developing the, 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 the shared dream for that. So um, it's very important for people to be able to articulate that and then to say, well, if that's what we as the next generation believe in terms of going forward, well, what changes do we actually need to make in relation to going forward? Maybe this way of doing business is archaic and we need to go into something new. Um, and what about the risk appetite that people have for that? So one, the issues one faces are the issues I've introduced to you with the acronym generations. Those are the types of issues. The solutions that people need to find need to be, well, you know, for us, this is what will work or won't work. For some, it, it is that um, for those family members that they can exit their equity in the business and they're quite comfortable with that. Um, there's some way they feel that the spouses should not be um, working in the business. So they develop their own rules in relation to something that maybe people have strong uh, beliefs about. But you cannot assume that because a family grew up under the same roof They've got this shared um, equal values, the same values. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you, you. You had an overview of like the governance structures that families can mm. seek to implement. Um, at what stage should family businesses be thinking of independent directors on the board of the family business or holding company? And what steps can they take to prepare for that transition? That's a great question. Obviously, when you reach the stage of going for the IPO, um, the listing of, 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 of the company, the structures are in place. So in South Africa, we had an air accident um, and there was a sense that this company, albeit that it was listed, that because the, the CEO was um, killed in the accident, that the business was extremely vulnerable. Um, and when I was interviewed uh, on radio and television, you know, I indicated that I felt that it wasn't, um, you know, that devastating or going to be that devastating on the company because of the continuity that is provided by the board and the professional management and the structures they had in place. So you had, for example, the CFO had previously been the CEO before the next generation family member had taken over. And it, uh, you know, it was a tragic death, but at least sometimes it was probably about 42, 43 years of age. Dad was still around, um, and they had all the structures and, and, and that in place. 
So they were able to deal with, with that issue. In the evolution of a startup business, typically, as I said, you might well have the accountant and the lawyer and other professionals that are involved in giving advice. And so you'd really just more have like these are almost advisors before you get into the um, formal structure. Now, I'm not talking about the structure from uh, the relevant Companies Act that is applicable to your country. Um, there's a Companies Act that determines that the memorandums of MOIs, et cetera, memorandum of incorporation, et cetera, statutory documents um, that are required and responsible and persons in those, in those roles. I see it more in relation to bringing outside advisors on board and the role that they can play. So when one is transitioning, um, and I find with generations, sometimes instead of a board, we've got an advisory um, family shareholders committee, advisory board of senior individual that, that are, um, are there to advise the, the family, both generations. It's very important that the family members all accept these people and the role they can play. So I'm dealing with a family now that is not certainly not listed, but they're a large multinational um, business. And so the family's been going through and is going through um, conflict and transitioning between generations and dealing with r- different risk appetites and all the rest of it. And certain decisions having to be made in terms of exiting or not various individuals. And the majority of independent um, board members has been critical in the process of bringing a, a rational voice. And it's not just family members that are conflicted uh, that, that make rash decisions. So in that instance, you've got trustees of the trust that are very professional, very good. And you've got independent um, a majority of independent directors that can also advise so decisions aren't made on an emotional family type um, agenda that exists there. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining us and for such an enlightening presentation. Mm-hmm. We really enjoyed it. And I'm sure uh, all of our participants got a lot of value from it. I think um, the last thing I'd ask from you is just to give you final thoughts on um African family businesses and uh, the journey that they still have to face as they go forward and how they can contribute to the economy of the continent and as well as um, any way that our audience can follow up and get hold of you. All right. So firstly, in terms of um, being being African, uh, you know, we've got huge um, advantages. You know, I think one of the reasons why I'm so involved in Asian, European, American, African um, families from different cultures is because we are diversified in Africa. We understand people, we understand relationships. Um, and so I think there's a lot that we as Africans can actually teach the rest of the world in terms of the way that we, we do things. Um, certainly we've got, got challenges. And, you know, if one professionalizes business, has a look at what is really good practice that is applicable to our business and the stage that we're in. And we define what are our values and the given of of values like integrity and and honesty and doing things in the right way. Um, Those and ethics and, and those type of things. We, we, you know, and we live by those. I see there's this massive opportunity for us, um, in, in, in Africa in terms of, 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 of the businesses. I believe that in terms of 
our sense of community. I know you spoke about philanthropy. Um, There's things like family office. We just don't have the time to talk about that. But family businesses and in their community and the loyalty that is engendered, you know, by African families, you know, in in South Africa, I've worked with, with, you know, obviously it's highly confidential in terms of the families, but very, very many emerging um, businesses that have become successful and the wonderful role that, that, that African families have um, and in, in terms of the culture and the values and that, and opening up the conversation. So I'll give you an example. So a typical, you find some families are very meshed um, and families, some are very disengaged. Uh, but I find that in Africa, we've got a lot of enmeshed families. And so if we can just bring that and, and the values that we, uh, that we share and the sense of Ubuntu and community, 